if you if you tell me a card is not the good is like Tomb of Annihilation's not the dungeon for Commander, I'm like <laughs> yeah, okay. like challenge accepted. Let's go. Sounds, sounds like that's the card for me though. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's. Welcome to another episode of the Uncommon Commander Podcast. This time, we're doing things quite a bit differently. Uh, Back when I started making the podcast, I had the idea that eventually I would be talking about different uncommon... Sorry, no, I've already flubbed it. I was thinking about talking about certain kinds of legendary creatures that were either unused or highlighting certain interesting projects and... I figured this would be the best way to get started with that idea of sort of what's called what I'm going to call the unconventional episode one. I got Peter, aka Mono White Border, with me today, and we're going to be talking about his. I think it was like a year and a half long deck diary project that he had. I should check it. It was uh, it was definitely like uh, something I theory crafted in the end of 2020. And then I started actively, uh, you know, doing it or pursuing it in 2021. Put the deck together, played it, and then throughout the entirety of that year, played the deck and did the things. So, yeah. Uh, again, bit a, a bit unconventional, but I figured we'd, I'd, I'd try and use this episode to highlight what I consider to be, a, like, again, probably one of many, but a very cool experiment of playing commander building decks for commander and and of course peter your own personal flourish of well it's gonna be a mono white deck and i'm gonna show you what a mono white deck can do when you only use cards from 2020 and 2021 pretty much and it's like it's it's interesting so what what was the mentality when you started what really like got it going for you so the impetus for me starting the deck was in 2020, people started to popularize uh, EDH boxing leagues where you bought a box of magic cards and you assembled a commander deck out of those. For a lot of people, it was a pretty reasonable thing to do considering what their magic budgets are seems like most people are pretty comfortable spending over $100 on a Magic deck. $200, $300 is not unusual for people buying Commander decks. So buying a box, which a lot of people already bought boxes, was a totally normal thing for them to do. They bought a box, assembled a Commander deck out of them, and it gave you this really low-power experience, and it recreated that experience of when you're first getting into Commander, and you're just like, I'm going to use the cards I own to make a deck. And I was like, I love that i'd love to be a part of it but i don't buy sealed product i don't spend a hundred dollars on my decks how in the world am i gonna ever be able to participate in this boxing league so the deck diary was my solution to it so the idea was build a deck use only cards i wanted to limit myself like they do in a boxing league so my limit was this was coming up at the end of 2020 so i was like i'm gonna use only cards printed in product in 2020 so they could have been reprinted like in double masters and i could still use it and the second stipulation for my own budgetary reasons 
was all of the cards would cost a dollar or less. So um, I it, it helped eliminate a lot of staples so that I wouldn't just be playing like, okay, here's a staple that came out. Here's a staple that came out. And I had a couple more guidelines for additions. So like I would slowly add cards and my guidelines were like, you know, I could add three cards that were under a dollar or I could add one card that was over a dollar. And that kind of helped to create the idea of like you open a pack and you add in some commons and uncommons or you open a pack and you get the sweet rare and you add the rare. So it was supposed to be this, here's a deck. It evolves as I play it. It gets better as I play it. It gives me a chance to experience um, the cards printed in 2020 kind of make a statement of hey because this was at a time when a lot of people were like wizards isn't helping white out at all white stinks wizards isn't assisting the color at all it's like no there's tons of really great cards coming out it's just that they're in and this is the thing about of course we're we're you know we're online so often and in the magic community you you make your voice known as the vocal minority that essentially are saying that like white isn't getting the same tools as other colors and it's like in a vacuum yes but like if you put all these cards together and you play with them like you'll actually find out like have you actually played with these cards mm-hmm. no mm, yep. then do you know what you're talking about well and that was that was the second third fourth i don't know how many reasons i've given this this deck did so much it was doing so much work so i it gave me a chance to play with new cards and like forced me to play with new cards because I have a pretty large mono-white collection, so I have access to a lot of old mono-white cards. But one of the flaws of mono-white is that, you know, some of the best mono-white cards are super old and can reach $5, $10, And if you didn't buy them when they were cheap and you got in on the ground floor, you know, it can kind of feel like you're, you're priced out of them. So I wanted to focus on, let's get rid of the staples. Let's get rid of land tax. Let's get rid of uh, another mono white staple uh you know I'm, right now i'm just thinking of ramp cards like oath of lieges um let's get rid of a Miri of the sky rune let's get rid of all of those classic powerful white cards that have gotten a little pricey and let's just focus on what's coming out now can a new player enter magic just buying a bunch of sealed product to get their collection started and can they play a mono white commander deck um so that was the focus and so when i started off i had to pick a commander and when I was thinking about what commander I wanted to pick, I was trying to think of something. There were a couple of factors influencing it. One, it had to be a build-around commander. When you're building on a budget, you need your deck to be somewhat linear. The second thing was antithesis to that. I needed the deck to also not be linear. I need the deck to be able to naturally evolve so that I could try out new cards that worked in different strategies. So I didn't want it to be a good stuff deck right away, but I wanted it to develop into a good stuff deck. So the commander I landed on was actually a commander I'd been trying to build forever and couldn't figure it out was Terranika. And I was like, okay, Terranika's great. Terranika wants you to do kind of a certain thing, you know, play creatures, turn them into 4-4 indestructibles. I found out a lot of great tech for Terranika, and I also figured I would move off of Terranika pretty quickly because Terranika's really bad, right? Like, 
<laughs> three mana for a three three vigilance well, says, and and as we found out some people actually understand the power of what Terranika offers i love Terrani. i i she grew on me so much like so much it's one of my favorite white cards from 2020 honestly at this point and i i have the deck diary to think because i never i worked out trying to build a Terranika deck forever that's just like no it's not good enough no this doesn't work and part of the problem was i was really focused on the untap effects like, mm-hmm. i need to untap i need to use all these untap effects and then tap things multiple times then i need to i need to get stoic uh, or strionic resonator in there to copy Terranika so i can untap things more and i need to get extra combats turns out no you don't need to do that. What you need to do is play a two mana one one double strike on turn two, <laughs> and turn it into a four double strike on turn four and hit somebody for eight damage. And that's the that's the fun thing to do with Terranika. And... I say that I played MJ last night, who actually did the untappy Terranika deck. Yeah, I just, remember he made that. Yeah, yeah, it was no shenanigans. He just he just attacked and then and then untapped his mother of runes. And then gave Terranika protection, and then had protection still up. Like he, it, he just simplified it so much. Like I was trying to get multiple untaps. I'm like, how many things can I untap? MJ's just like, you don't need to untap multiple things. Untap your mother of runes and be glad about it. And I was like, that it was definitely. It. I loved watching that deck go off. But so Terranika kind of became like one of my favorite commander cards of the past uh, of 2020, and uh, definitely holds a spot, soft spot in my on my heart for this deck. Would you, do you think but, you'll ever, ever go back to a Terranika deck at some point? I built one. I rebuilt the original Deck Diary deck actually not that long ago. I never got a chance to play it because, mm-hmm. um, you know, you just get distracted with other projects. Or you get distracted you with know, Smash Bros. Yeah, you get distracted with Smash Bros. <laughs> and well, and then you like, so I recently disassembled all of my mono white decks um, and that the recreated Terranika deck included, the Deck Diary included. And, you know, you want to build something new, right? You want to do something new. So it might be a while. There's still so much to do in Mono White that I haven't done. So I need to make sure I do all those things before I before I cycle back. But, you know, maybe maybe a spontaneous, you know, I, I want to play Terranika and rebuild the deck real quick because I have all the cards for it. It's just a matter <laughs> of sleeping them there. up. Yeah, exactly. It's just a matter of finding them and sleeping them up. I have them somewhat organized. So... That's a pretty interesting method of deck building, and I think a lot of people, like, I there, there's a lot of different styles of deck building that you can look up online now. People are doing, uh, people are doing their own sort of deck primers, people are explaining mm-hmm. their method. We got Coach J-Ro, who talks about his mathematical, like, equation of, this is how I build my deck, and that works for him, because it hicks off a lot of check marks for his style of brain where he's like uh we need 40 lands and then we need cards that like fill certain conditions in neat tidy piles of 10 and or 20 and like that's how he builds his decks and he also sorts his cards to suit that need so he there's little overlap of certain cards that may function in the same position but he tries to also diversify it by choosing a similar card of either a lower or higher power level in a different deck and slotting it in exactly for that reason. And, like, mm-hmm. that's one way of building your deck, where you use, like, your own personal formula to suit your needs. And for some people, like myself, are way too impulsive, and, like, 
I get another 35 lands, and, like, I try and fit in as much cool shit as I could possibly manage, but then realize I screwed up, screwed up a ratio, so then I add a little bit more ramp and a little more draw. And over yep. time, I refine it as I play, because I understand that there are weaknesses I'm initially going to have, but I can't... I'm not of the mentality to figure out exactly what it is. Uh, and then there's some people who are like, I want to build a theme deck, I want to purposefully power down. You have uh, someone like Lenny, who purposely chooses a powerful commander and then builds an absolutely like off the wall line of thinking of, of making a deck around it which is why you get urza's gumball machine and other things like that and and like i you know everyone's got their thing and your thing was well what if i create like such a unique shell of limitations that explores how magic design and like, even how reprints would function within a vacuum within a single year. And, like, what kind of experience does that bring? And your your the journey of your deck diary from conception to its... And, and I'm we're using this episode as a way to sort of send it off, but, like, yep. it, it came to an end. You, you realize that, like, for yourself, the project came to an end. You, you had your fun with it. You... You sort of lost your passion for it, and then you realize, and you're like, you know what? This year and last year also included, like, if we think about 2021 as a whole, like, that was a pretty solid year of white cards being printed and a lot of really cool utility stuff. And also, like, a bonkers legend of Adeline being printed. And it's like, mm -hmm. holy smokes, this is a white card. This is a good white card. Yeah, I... I so, the deck accomplished all of its goals right so and, and the goals continued to evolve as i did it more you know I, I started with a loose structure and then i didn't hold myself to that structure i i played around with it because it was my first time doing it i wanted to figure out what works what's fun what's not fun and so part of it was okay build the initial deck play on a budget, give yourself tons of restrictions, show what you can do inside these restrictions. Then it became enhancing the deck. And okay, now how good can I get the deck just working within these restrictions and just slowly leveling it up? And so that was for me like that classic where you have your pet deck and then you keep stumbling onto cards with it, right? So like one of the things that we do now a lot is we build a deck to completion before we even play it we build out the 99 we spend tons and tons of time on it we said we can even spend a ton a ton of money on it if you're you know yeah unless you got a printer in which case whoop. You, you build it out and then maybe one or two cards changes and then you're done and you kind of know the reason you put a card in and the reason you took a card out and it's like the most fun decks i have the decks that mean the most to me are the ones that started out low and kept growing and improving Right. And like, so that was another goal of this is like to recapture. Cause this is something I remember talking about a lot is that there's kind of a glass ceiling that shatters when you reach a certain point of investment in this game where you can't go back to what it was first like to play the game and stumbling on a card and somebody's behind her and being like oh my god that's the coolest card ever and it's actually just like a completely terrible card it's like 
yeah they're like how much is this card it must be like 20 dollars or something it's like no that card's like five cents i'll just give it to you <laughs> like so there there's that there's that growing that i wanted to try and find a way to recapture and and honestly i've recaptured it beyond just this deck and just building decks with a concept in mind and not knowing how that concept's gonna work right so for this one i built the deck i had the structure and i knew it was imperfect because of the limitations i put on it because of the strategy i was doing i knew this deck could be improved upon like it was not a finished product and so i kept growing and i've applied that to my other decks too so if you follow me you know i have leroy jenkins as well as several other tomb of annihilation decks and all of those decks are constructed in the same way as this deck diary of okay let me assemble some cards real quick for under 50 dollars so that i can buy them and not be worried a lot of times i have the comes and uncommons most of the time i'm trying to trade with people to find the cards so it makes it so like i'm kind of replacing things quick i remember with Acerarak, i got to like 94 cards and i was just like oh, i want to play the deck so i just found like six black cards and just threw them in there real quick <laughs> and then you just slowly improve the deck and it makes them so much more emotionally meaningful to me and I, this is what happened with the deck diary too it was it was tough to decide to take it apart but i finally was like no i I'm clearing out my portfolio of white decks. I'm starting fresh. The deck diary has done its thing. It needs to go through that too. But th there was like this emotional attachment and I haven't deleted the, the decks. I made them unlisted on my Moxfield profile, but I haven't deleted them because there's still that, like, I like looking at them. I like seeing the progress that they made. I like seeing the cards that found their way into them almost by happenstance. A lot of the times when I was buying cards, I refused to buy off TCG player. So the way I got cards for the deck was, A, someone like you, um, Doug Y Nerd, um, EDH Academy, Zynum on Zynum on, in, in real life, <laughs> EDH Academy on Twitter, um, Gabe, Icetep on Twitter, he sent me something. I had people send me cards because they just wanted to contribute in some way. They signed them. I remember Gabe sent me Sigarda, and he said, I don't know. This just feels like the most Peter card I've ever seen. And I love that card. It's awesome. It's just like, it's got protection from gods, which is like irrelevant, but amazing when it comes up. It has this like tricky, you know, it's, it's oh, got wait, the you said protection. You said Sigarda, but you meant. Um... No. Sigrid. Sigrid. Yeah, yeah. Right, Sorry, yeah. everybody. Sigarda is not a Peter card. Sorry. Sigrid. <laughs> it's got protection for gods. It's got the, the tricky gotcha thing that uh i feel like if you play with me i i run a lot of gotchas i like it's a I good like it's a good feeling it's um mm -hmm. that's one card that i'm always trying to slot in somehow like i'm still i want to put it in my first strike deck like i uh, i want to put it in my Gwende deck that we've talked about before i want to put it in teshar because like i feel like it's a nice little tricky cheeky thing to throw in i want to put it in my um my azorius deck with raf capuchin because again it has flash and mm -hmm. it just it just it feels cheeky you know and uh it's it's a neat it's a nice design space that i'm glad that they're working with and it she just she feels she feels and sounds sweet i just haven't really experienced it yet mm -hmm. no she's fun i know mj built a deck around her too but uh 
She she did work. Every time I played her, she felt really good. She had first strike, which was randomly relevant. She's just got a, a lot of text on her that feels inconsequential. And then it adds up to make a mediocre card, and that's exactly what I like. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I just... I don't even remember what tangent I was going down when I started. But, yeah, so Terranika slowly evolved. And as I kind of built the deck out with Terranika, I was adding cards. I was adding effects that were over a dollar to increase the power level. You know, uh, I would go into my local game store, and I kind of had an idea of, like, oh, I I think I want this card. And then my local game store wouldn't have the card, so I'd just be like, okay, I'm going to buy a different card. Um, I also started buying packs for the deck. So, like, I was in my local game store... I bought a card. The card was like 50 cents. Or maybe the card was like a dollar. And the, the game store had like a $2 limit. So I'm like, okay, well, give me a set booster because I'm only going to, I don't have cash on me. Give me, give me a set booster. So I always wanted to get Halvar in the deck because, you know, the deck was start, deck diary started in 2021 officially. And so I was adding cards from 2021. And my game store never had a Halvar. And so I was like, just give me a Kaldheim pack. So I kept trying to open, open a Halvar. Oh my God. <laughs> You're like, well, they're secret. Never did. They're secret, yeah. but I don't mm, don't need that. But like, so th- this is something that's so funny to me. I don't know why, and maybe it's just maybe it's my LGS in particular. Maybe it's at least like the two D L LGSs that I go to. But there's anything that's like kind of considered like a white staple or something that was recently really popular for a mono white deck or white in general. I can't seem to get my hands on it, and it's like. I feel it has something to do with people are appreciating it, so they're keeping their hands on it, or it's so cheap to trade in that they can't be bothered to do it, and therefore there's no product for it. And I'm like, can I just, like, can I get a Halvar? Or can I, like, I granted, I want a Luminous Broodbop, for example. It is it is 100% that I think the perception on Twitter does not match the actual perception of the average, average player. Yeah, Because... Like, I see people do sales or giveaways of white cards. They're like, hey, I'm selling this white card. I'm going to do it for 10% below TCG low. I'm like, I'm like 10 minutes. 10 minutes has gone by. And I'm like, okay, because I had this happened with Icing Death. Multiple times this has happened with Icing Death. I'd seen Icing Death. I'd message somebody. I'd be like, hey, do you still have the Icing Death? And they'll be like, no, just sold it. <laughs> I mean, time after time, time this happens with white cards because I think people actually like white cards. Contrary to what the magic Twitter would make you think of that every white card that comes out is absolute trash and nobody likes them and nobody plays them. I think there's a lot of people like me who like see this janky white mythic that's a 4-3 vigilance and turns into equipment when it dies or that's a uh, equipment enabler and can flip into a sword on the back and they see that and they're like yeah that's exactly what i want to do there's like this segment of timmy players that the timmy for them isn't being isn't summoning the giant dinosaur the timmy is like i have my army of little creatures i have my army of little one ones and you know they can go home to their families after the game <laughs> You killed my soldier. He has a boy. <laughs> I think that was the thing. That was the thing that I love talking about with you about Kuende. God, oh my God, that was that was last year, and or was that the beginning? Oh my God, no, that yeah, it was ah time ah. But anyway, like the the one thing that I loved when we were talking about sort of the the 
not just like the gameplay that we but that like we experience but like the stories that we create either in our heads or like as we're playing of like yes my army of knights got blown up by your giant dragon that is some straight up fantasy shit that i love and enjoy and like it's it's those experiences that brings keeps bringing me to commander tables because like it's those weird it's either the weird interactions that occur or just like the vision of like wizards like a, a team of wizards squatting up to like beat down the mono green player or like whatever like the yeah the imagery is important mm -hmm. yeah absolutely oh yeah it's and you have to have every image the giant green monsters can I take a tangent to complain about Akoria for a second? Mm. <laughs> Akoria did not resonate because they failed to represent scale in a meaningful way. The giant monsters didn't feel like giant monsters. They're relying on mutate to make you get the stack of cards that felt like a giant monster. But that's a very Melvin giant monster. Oh, look at all the things I mutated. Look at all the things I look at this mechanic and look at what this mechanic did to this card that normally is just a single card. The art direction in Ikoria failed at what Rise of the Eldrazi succeeded at. Rise of the Eldrazi made you feel like these Eldrazi are gigantic and a threat to humanity. And like, that's terrifying. And the people that are willing to battle these giant Eldrazi, I mean, they are just the epitome of bravery. Ikoria totally whiffed on it totally whiffed i felt like even the like the three color giant monsters they didn't put anything with them in the art to show that they were actually a giant monster for all i know that could just be a, a cat-sized cat <laughs> i don't know it could be <laughs> so, that's my big complaint with that i it's what i demanded in akoria if you want to know what i'm talking about Look up the card Time of Heroes. It's a white card. It's got amazing art. It's got an irrelevant ability. It's the perfect card. Look up Time of Heroes. It shows the massive scale of Enrockle compared to this army of people that are like, hey, we're going to go fight Enrockle and die horribly. Huzzah! That's what Ikoria whiffed on, is they didn't get the scale right, and the scale is very important to me because I like the feeling that I am small in the endless expanse of the universe. And other people like the feeling that they're summoning a giant monster to come and smack somebody. So there's my accord attention. I, I think probably one of the things that they could have done, granted, it's not always like it probably, it probably wouldn't create good scenarios, but you're right. I'm looking at my prime example is Iluna. I love Iluna as a creature and concept like i like teamer mutate i got a teamer mutate deck it's not perfect but i try and make it work right but none of the legendary creatures in that set their artwork like you said does not really insinuate their size because we're like we're right up with them in their face and nothing really implies like the scale or scope of their size if you look yep. at the uh let's say you look at zaxara the exemplary from the commander decks from that year like you can definitely start seeing and feeling the scale of it but mm -hmm. in the set itself i think the only other ones like where the artwork implied maybe a different set of scale was the alternate arts or even kogla the titan ape was the only one where like you actually feel yeah. the scale where because 
There's a person in it. There's a person in it. If you look at uh, Yargle from Darmanaria, Yargle feels like this gigantic frog because he's in a swamp. The trees are shrunk by, like, are dwarfed by his size, and he's got something hanging out of his mouth, I think, as well. Like, Gitrog, same thing. Gitrog has, like, the foot hanging out of his mouth. It lets you know this monster could swallow you whole, and that is important to letting me cue into, oh, this is really a scary giant frog that is going to eat someone if if it feels like it, and there's nothing I can do to stop it. And they're going to dredge their entire library, and they're going to draw a, card, a bunch of cards from their lands, and that's just what you have to deal with. But yeah, it's scale is important, and Ikoria whiffed on it. But I got Luminous Broodmoth from the set, which made it into the deck diary, so that's cool. I know, and like Luminous Broodmoth, where like you you start feeling like you start to feel the scale of it because of like surprisingly it's, it's the one little... it's got the moon in the background like it's from underneath it like yep. flying overhead so you do really kind of understand like the scope of it a little bit more it also just has a really neat ability it's really good mm -hmm. yeah and i mean this deck got to explore and accentuate so many of the new unique abilities that white got access to both last year and this year and both ones that people thought were good on the face and both ones that people thought were bad on the face. And I, you know, I got to kind of make my own determinations on what I felt was really good. Like, so there were some cards that showed up in the deck that people kind of, you know, thought were bad. And I ended up, you know, getting to play them and they really shined as like, Hey, this card's pretty good. Or, cards people thought were great that maybe underperformed a little bit so like i mean i think i play slash the ranks all the time now and that's a card that came out in commander legends it ended up in the deck it may have ended up in the initial build i may have added it later i don't quite remember but that card is was a home run that's and i think it got blown off because it's a five mana board wipe which white has so many of it does. This one it really does. does. It, but yeah, it, it feels really unique and really impactful and really important, especially if you want to go into a Voltron strategy because you, you you can save your commanders. I end, eventually ended up doing a partner pair. It's great with partner because you get to keep two creatures. Everyone else. Yeah, that's the, that's that's the other thing about Commander Design Space that has gotten I think a little bit better over time because of the implication of having partners or partners with commanders that can benefit from spells that either ignore them completely or bounce them specifically back to hand or provide like a buff to both of them in like with keywords or flat bonus like there are, there's a neat change of design that's happened the last few years where it's like oh wait well slash the ranks is actually relevant it stands out amongst like its other five mana more specialized board wipes like some that target equipment or destroys everything equipped to them or it saves creatures that are enchanted and in this case it saves everyone's commanders but what if they don't have them in play already then it's just basically another board wipe and it's those subtle things that add up and make a difference it's those subtle tweaks that are the important ones you know i've been harping on that for what feels like forever of pay attention to the commons and uncommons that'll let you know what they're thinking for the future i wrote a whole post on that because i talked about farsight adept then it became secret rendezvous and now it's wedding ring right the 
you draw, I draw kind of cards in white that were, you know, lampooned at first because people didn't contextualize the information that they were receiving. And now Wedding Ring, I feel like, is a really well-liked card. Is it good or bad? You know, that remains to be seen. And it could be subjective at the end of the day, right? Like that, right? It's a case by case basis because, like, in one game, you might even be wedding ringing someone that is the perfect target, or you you wedding ring someone who can't benefit or even play into the effects. You're not like the dividends is not paying off, and you're like, well, I made a mistake, and you kind of just you scoop up and you go to the next game and you see what happens the next time. Yeah, it's yeah. So I mean. I feel like that's another thing this deck diary helped with is just like you don't always see the nuance of the card until you start to play with it. Livio, which was the second commander. So I played Terranica. How long did I play Terranica? Quite a while. Yeah. I think it was into April. I can look at this. Version two. You have the history. (laughs) At some point. I don't know. But I had Terranika, and I played Terranika for a long time. I was really surprised because Terranika just kept working. And eventually I got to the point where I thought, okay, I'm comfortable with the changes I made to the deck. I focused on trying to add a lot of ETBs because they're kind of generically good. I focused on ETBs that worked with Terranika or, or creatures that worked with Terranika as ETBs. Um, you know, So ETB put a counter on something um or etb on a creature that's maybe a one one that i could make a lot better um and eventually that resulted in me feeling comfortable changing the deck to a partner pair that i'd been wanting to try for a long time so the first one was livio osworn sentinel and we got an uncommon in alharu solemn ritualist and the reason I put these two together is because Livio is a flicker commander. You pay two, exile card with an Aegeus counter on it. Then you pay three and return everything that had an, uh, an Aegeus counter on it. And then Alharu enters the battlefield and put plus one, plus one counter on something. Terranika stayed in the deck. She went to the 99, and I just put in these two partner commanders that worked together. The deck was still kind of this counters theme. So Alharu helped to keep that counters theme going, but it became more focused on adding multiple counters to a lot of creatures rather than counters on one creature to make it as impactful with Terranika as possible. Um, and I discovered that Livio is really freaking clunky. Like, I could never figure out the correct spot to play Livio because Livio I wanted to play on turn two and then Livio would die and it'd be awkward to get him back in and start exiling stuff and, and getting ETBs again. So Livio actually kind of wanted to be this like weird late game commander. Um, where you play them and then you exile everything and on your upkeep you bring it all back. It's like a, a weird Yorion. And it was that kind of that kind of subtlety you learn from playing the cards. I think that's a big thing I took away from the whole deck diary experience is no matter if you think a card is good or bad, you're not really going to have a good analysis of it until you actually play the card. You can have some ideas, but if you're using those ideas as fact of this card is bad because it meets this random criteria... Like the and, arbitrary criteria of yourself, a.k.a. the deck yeah. builder. Yeah, you know, I mean, just let's pick something random. Everybody thinks three mana rocks are bad, you know. But, and, and you can generally apply that idea to three mana rocks, and you're probably not going to suffer too much from it. But it's still worthwhile to try the card out and see what its implications are. 
see where it's successful and where it's unsuccessful. I think that's another thing that I really learned is that like cards aren't always successful in the strategy you're playing, but there's so many strategies to play, especially in a four line like commander. You know, there's so many different strategies to play. I really like Archer Varaska, which is not like people are like, well, I I'm never going to activate it. I'm never going to have five lands. I like longer games. I tend to leave mana open to react to things. Archer Varaska gives me a mana sink in my lands. That's very valuable to and me. And it's it, that and um, although like a little more specific Bonders Enclave also yeah. fits that point where it's like you might not have a play like you maybe have a counter spell obviously like we're playing white what do you got a mana tithe or maybe like a lapse of certainty sure or you have some other instant speed shenanigans like a settle the wreckage or something if you need to be on the defensive because you never know what you're going to be doing but if if everyone ignores you or you you know someone's like i target your thing you're like well mm, i think i can afford that loss now and then save for something much more impactful and then and that's the thing like it there's the proactive and reactive parts of a game where if you go full turn cycle and it gets to the like the end step of the next person and you're like oh wait i'm next what do i do drawing a card even if it's for five six seven eight mana is really impactful in the long like in the long term and well like and eight mana me... is ridiculous obviously but like the point still stands I would re for me it's so important to use so there's two things that are important in magic using all your mana and retaining the number of cards you have like that's important things in commander you got to be efficient with your mana you have to use all the card like you have to maintain the cards in hand like you have to keep your resources so cards that use up mana that you aren't spending and also don't give up a resource are super valuable especially in mono white where it's harder to get resources back like i'm never going to tell you that mono white can draw cards as efficiently as other colors it is harder for mono white to recuperate the cards that it spends that is just a fact i'm Which not even gonna argue i'm not even gonna argue that because yeah. that is actually just true <laughs> but that doesn't mean that mono white can't hang around in a commander game i just adjust my play style to allow me the chance to use to hold on to my cards to spend my cards at the most opportune point so you play things like oh catch the true or heliod these really good mana sinks that allow give you an effect but you don't spend a card to get them or archivaraska gives you an effect it might be expensive but you're getting a card back like that the value of that changes by context and that's true of so many cards and you're not going to always know the context of where a card is valuable until you actually play with the card and kind of see how it plays. Because I, it doesn't matter your experience level. Like, playing the card changes your view of the card. Like, you get more insight from playing it and seeing it situationally, especially when the card is a, a really new effect. Like, so many of these effects that White's getting now feel like they're kind of new design space. I mean, they're, they're not completely new. You know, there's similarities in the history of Magic. But there's still something that we aren't used to experiencing. And so, once again, this deck diary was a great opportunity for me to have a place for those cards to go so I could try them and then know as much information as possible for them when I'm making a judgment about future cards coming out. Then I apply that to future cards. And if the future card needs to be play tested, I mean, 
a design they didn't design these cards out of nowhere they play tested the cards and us as players should probably also play test the cards to get the full experience out of them and actually know what what they're doing play testing isn't just a design thing it can be a player thing right i mean and that's the so. thing too that's the thing too that this granted you i i'm not i've never been a competitive player so like my mentality going into a set or a card is not one of how does this head like how does this card work within this environment and mm -hmm. i'm always looking at it from the sense of like how does this contribute to commander even if it's not as impactful as what people want it right like some people are like oh could they've designed all these cards for commander but these cards suck and blah 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 and i'm like man you gotta chill out for a second here let's think about uh there's a card like there's a card i'm thinking of cathar's commando or cathar commando from yeah uh, i love that Hunt, card right? like a four mana one with landfall basically or it can be landfall. The one that makes a one. No, you're no. talking about the other one. Yes. It's the Caustic Caterpillar. Yes, essentially. Yeah. Like, it has flash. It's a two mana, three, one, and you can sacrifice it to blow up an enchantment or artifact. Now, that it, there's several things that, like, it's a good card. Let's not cut ourselves here. This thing is, is a good card. It's in white. It's probably low enough, like, you can return it with a Sun Titan. You can do all these cool things with it, right? But... There are several things that it, and I also think of um, uh, Loyal Warhound, that mm -hmm. also are Knight's design changes that have happened in the last little bit that are a step in the right direction. And I think about them a little differently, that, you know what? It may be a 3-1, and it's going to die, right? Like, I inevitably expect a Loyal Warhound to bite the bolt, like, just jump in front of something and die. But it also has 3 power. It's a nice little uptick that isn't defensive that you can actually turn sideways in a commander game, and you can like, you can deal three damage to someone or block something and actually kill it, and it's relevant. It's it's relevant the whole time. It isn't just some vanilla creature that has an arbitrary power and toughness. Combat still matters and creature still matters, and I think in a commander game you could start hedging your bets of blocks and attacks with these creatures that might not live too long in the grand scheme of things, but you have to use them in a way that's most effective. And sometimes it's just turning them sideways. Yeah, and Loyal Warhound doesn't even turn sideways. It has vigilance. Yeah, it's exactly. Awesome. Like it's a it does it, it does all the things. <laughs> yeah. It it yeah. And the thing that happened with Cathar's Commando when it came out that really bugged me is I heard so many people say, Oh, but when are we gonna get the white Rex Age? Which I get it. Like, it would be cool to have a three-mana ETB destroy target artifact or enchantment in white. But Cathar's Commando is so much better in the context of a mono-white deck. Because you have effects like Sun Titan, Savine's Reclamation, that bring it back. You have effects like Torpor Orb effects that you kind of want to play in a lot of mono-white decks. A lot of times we don't play them because, you know... Stacks it's not exactly blow, the experience man. people are looking for. Yeah. But in the context of, you know, mono white gains stronger, these are some of the strong effects in mono white. And Reclamation Sage does not play well into those effects. No, being able but this to one does, 100%. It having flash and being able to activate it instant speed is so good. Like, Cathar's Commando for specifically, if I had to pick one for specifically white, Rex Sage or Caustic Caterpillar, I'd 100% cop print Caustic Caterpillar first, because it's so much better in the context of all things mono-white. That card does so much more work 
in the context of mono white. Like, I get it, having a Rexage would be awesome, but I'm really glad that this card came first because of the way it interacts with the color. And the reason people are distracted by that is because they're letting their own biases come into play when judging the card, and then they aren't playing the card, so their biases have now shut out the exploration of the card, and you're not seeing those payoffs come together. Right? You're not seeing how that all works together, and you're shutting this completely off from... You're shutting this knowledge off from yourself, basically. When if you just throw it in the deck, get some experience with it, you might see how those connections interweave and how they play, and then you can make a judgment. And you might still say that this deck I'm playing wants Reclamation Sage so much more, and that's totally fine, but you will at least understand how this card operates within the wider context of Commander and see the different play patterns that you can line up that you probably aren't seeing because you're blocking that off because you're just focused on, I want this thing instead. And, like and that's and, that's and the th the other thing is is that like I I've been playing Commander for a decade, give or take, and some people have played for far less, and some people have played for like have just been playing Magic for far longer, right? Like mm -hmm. they'll have way more experience than I'll ever understand. So like they people like that can be in the position where they do understand card design and play in a way that like maybe you or I don't understand, but I think one of the other reasons that contributes to sort of that bias towards not playing cards like that is because they've either been there done that or they know what kind of game they want to play and that card does not for some reason does not contribute to that play style and that's why mm -hmm. they avoid it which granted that's fair if you if you've been playing for as long as you have then and you feel like mm, this card doesn't contribute to my play style then it's like okay then i who am i to argue with that that's just how you feel and right. and that's the other thing about like and that's the thing about magic in general is that like it's so expansive there's so much going on that you will have people who make deck techs for things that i will never conceivably be able to understand like you're you're like anyone who sits down and builds a cedh deck and in theory it's really good but you're doing things that like this is my thing with cedh where i i've talked about it with with jake in a previous episode and i've talked about it with some others where it's like i understand that the goal is the same right you're playing commander you're probably sitting with friends but the action economy that you're having in your turn to get a win going is so it's way too much for me it, mm -hmm. you have 20 inputs in one turn when i'm just content to cast three spells in one turn the speed mm -hmm. the speed of intent is completely different but you have such an understanding of how the game works to to achieve that goal that that tickles your brain in a way that instills fear in my heart for like the same thing mm -hmm. and it and it's like you know uh, intent you know what's the what's the intention what's the goal and like what do you want out of it for yourself and that's why when people do deck primers and talk about cdh you're like oh hey i have a deck diary that i'm building that i'm making that appeals to you because you're ex you're it's it's not a you're making a cdh deck with the intent to win and do this crazy bonkers stuff with one turn you're having this deck that has evolved over the course of a year that has gained and lost a lot of cards that 
have had a lot of functionality and you're like oh hey this card was cool but you know what i i i it, it doesn't work with the strategy anymore i am now going to probably use that for something else whatever move on and you have had an, a, a journey an experience where yeah. you've you've encountered and played a lot of magic within the course of a year you know whatever you were able to do with your time and you experienced through those experiences you encountered a lot of cards and interactions because you're constantly evolving the deck and like well and the thing is is like i feel like this experience was just pure unadulterated exploration of just like if there's one axiom that applies to magic more so than any other axiom we can think of it's you don't know what you don't know because there's if anyone out there assumes that they know everything about magic and they could see a card and tell you every interaction they're completely lying to you mark mark rosewater still has to test he's been designing magic for what 25 plus years and he still has to test cards he still makes mistakes he still doesn't understand everything you don't know what you don't know and i feel like this deck diary was an exploration of that i don't know what i don't know so i better play it so that i can learn it and figure it out and then know a little bit more and I, you know, it, this it, axiom still applies. I don't know what I don't know, and you're never gonna find it out. But you, you certainly can find out more and keep growing that knowledge. But you know, magic's so wide. You're never gonna, you're never gonna learn it all. There's always gonna be more to explore. That's why people continue to play the game after ten plus years. That's why it has such longevity, is because there's always more to know and more to learn. It's kind of like, uh, well, I went to IEPUI as a liberal arts major and that school is a science school which is kind of funny and the thing about it was i i hung around a lot of biology majors pre-med majors uh i have a close friend that's a math major i have tons of engineer friends because i went to this science school but the cool thing about science that a lot of them said is that the more you learn the more questions you find and that's so true of magic too it's like the more you learn, the more questions you have. And part of it's just like you find new interactions and then you have to go back to your old interactions and reevaluate cards and then you, you apply a new card you found with an, with an old card you played years ago or, or you bypass this old card and then you rediscover it and you're like, oh, wait, hold on. What can I do with this old card now that I know this information? Maybe this old card isn't as bad as I originally thought it was. You it's know, all, I, it's that, all about context. Like That's the thing yeah. that really comes down to it. It's like in a commit... Like, if you play in a certain play group for an extended period of time, maybe it feels homogenous and samey and you really don't get to see like the true scope of what something is capable of. But the thing about webcam magic as it's been for like the last year and a half or two years, like it's, I've experienced so much. I've learned a lot about not only about people, but like magic in general, that's like really cool. And I'm super glad to experience it. Cause like, it's so unique. It's been so unique to really get to know people and like how they choose to build their decks. And then they're like, you know, this effect or this style of effect or this type of interaction just really does it for me. And that's why I play decks like this. And then I'm like, huh, that's really cool. I never really thought about that before. And now I've encountered it and I've learned something from it. I'm bringing that with me now. And if I can add to that, I, so this deck, when I designed it, I think if you saw the beginning deck, maybe even if you saw the end deck, you'd probably call it low power. Maybe it would eventually get to mid towards the end here as some of the cards are just generically powerful. But I never 
qualified it as when I looked for a game because this this was played exclusively over webcam. The entire time I played this deck, I never played in person. It was a webcam deck. I may have played it in person one or two times. I might have just lied there, and I apologize. <laughs> you misinformed us. What the heck is wrong with you? It was play. I played a ton of this games over webcam, and I never once tried to set the power level. In fact, I actively told people. Hey, play whatever you want. The point of this is to see how far I can push this deck. So if I stumble into a CEDH pod with this deck, and you guys are cool with me playing an extremely low power deck in your CEDH pod and kind of effectively turning it into a three-person game, then I'm down to play it. Because I want to see how these cards interact at every level of Magic, and I want to see what that experience is. And honestly, this is part of the deck that kind of made me reach that point where I was just like, power level doesn't matter of decks it just matters that everyone's on the same page that we're all using the same mindset if i stumble into a high power game with this deck as long as i'm thinking this is a high power game i'm gonna come at it with a high power mindset i'm gonna understand what my other opponents are thinking or if it's a low power game and i'm gonna come out with a low power mindset and keep it chill vibes only and like that was something then that then you, it worked that you tweeted about recently that i thought was really interesting and um, I think anyone who does know me and has played with me is that like, I don't norm, I don't try, I don't want to be like, I don't want to try too hard. I don't want to make like the craziest deck because like, it doesn't appeal to me personally. There are some times where I played really strong decks that did a strong thing and wins really quickly and not, and sometimes people just can't interact with it due to they didn't have removal or whatever the circumstances are, or I misjudged the relative power level, which can happen. Um, but there are times, more often than not, that I'm playing a, a suboptimal deck because I just wanted to experience something and have some fun and figure out if it was going to work or not. And and then I realized that when you talked about it on Twitter was that if you change your mindset and you try and play things more effectively to suit your needs, then you can probably punch up more than you normally would and i thought about that i'm like i don't normally really try that hard i don't get me wrong i do enjoy winning and who and like we're playing commander we're, we're we're trying to eventually have a game end whether that means we win or lose but i don't try hard enough uh and it's because like there are times where i'm like i could remove someone's thing that's really impacting us and there are times where i have done like, I played a board wipe, or I, I removed something of someone's, or put a player in their place, so to speak, because they zoomed too far ahead. And I'm like, mm, nope, let's bring you back down to Earth for a second, Icarus, and, mm -hmm. and you kind of move on. But sometimes I feel really bad, and my personal feelings get in the way of playing more effectively, because I don't want to... If, if I feel it's not appropriate, I try and avoid it. And if I inflict it and people sort of express disappointment or sadness or anger, which, like, granted, that goes into a whole other category of, why are you being salty, bro? You, you knew this was going to happen. And it's just, I don't want to intentionally try too hard if it means I'm going to end up causing a bad game experience. But at the same time, I have to try and move forward. Like, I have to progress the game somehow. And I'm not sure exactly how I'm going to adjust thinking about this. But it's it's just interesting to think about that. Like, I could technically just be a better player. I just have to 
have the intent to do so. Well, and like, that's part of the problem with how we talk about power level. We talk about power level, and we think about the cards in the deck. Oh, this is this is probably high power. You know, I got, you know, I can ramp out pretty quickly and get a lot of creatures on the board, and I can win with Crater Hoof or uh, the End Razor board guys. <laughs> Green cards are not my forte. Or you know, I, you know, I, I'm playing like expropriate. So if I get to nine mana, I might just win the game. Or like, it's all talking about the cards. But it's like, what's a high power mindset? Is is CEDH the only truly cutthroat, you know, mindset? And CEDH, you know, it's arguable how how cutthroat you have to be to be qualified as CEDH. You know, is high power the place where if you have the win, you just go for it no matter what? Is that only CEDH? What about mid-tier EDH? If I, if I have the win on turn four, do I go for it? Do I hold it back? Or, like, you know, with Artisan kind of, you know, being around in the in the community, or, you know, like Gabe and I were talking about Popper, it's like, you know, you are still attempting on some level, whether you're brand new or you're tuning a, you tuned a deck or you're playing high power or whatever, is like, you built the deck with a purpose, obviously, but now... How do you play those cards? And that matters mm -hmm. way more than the cards themselves. Yeah. And, and I think it, I mean, that kind of goes back to just my mentality of the cards I like. The cards I like, I believe that I have control over what they're going to do. Like, I affect how impactful or unimpactful they're going to be. And that's why I like them, you know? And, and I, that makes it very easy for me to take my deck to high power or low power because I can play a card like it's a low power card or I can play a card like it's a high power card. Um, you know, something, I mean, Mavinda's I feel like is my best example of that. You know, Mavinda has so many options with every single card that I choose to play and I can play that at a high power level. I can play that at a low power level. You know, I can try and get the most out of my cards or I can just be like, ah, I just want to draw cards and do weird things with spells. You know, it's, it's so adaptable. And not every card's going to do that, and not every player's going to like those cards that do that. But you you do have agency over, just intrinsically to the fact that you have the deck, you have agency over the impact your cards have and what they do and where you want to play them. And if you legitimately, there are some people who legitimately, I can't play suboptimally. This, I, I just can't do it. Then maybe that's okay. And like you should play at high you should play at a high power table or a mid power table if, if if that's what your definition of that mindset or it entails right that's okay like you just have to you have to think about what do i have your deck isn't doing something in like your deck isn't just doing things right your deck requires you to be holding the cards and be casting the cards and be playing the cards and that's that's really important to understanding the impact that you have on the power level of the table that you're sitting at. Uh, accountability. Yay. Yay. Were we talking about your deck diary? I don't know. Well, I think we got way off track on that. But like you said, like, like you 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 brought your deck diary to a lot of different games of a lot of different power levels and expectations. But the, the, the main expectation was, hey, we're here to play some magic. Let's hang out and play. And you, yeah. you did it. You did some cool stuff. You enjoyed your experience, and after after a year of fiddling and upgrading, and 
trying out cards that maybe you would never have in the first place, uh, you come at the end of it with a greater appreciation for a bunch of cards and and different styles of play. And uh, you had your fun. You've you're done with that now. You're scooping up everything out of that deck and and redistributing and starting on something new. Yeah, I mean, it was a great way to get new cards, too, because rather than paying, you know, $100 to get a new deck, you know, I just added cards slowly, and, you know, those cards, you know, a, buying a $5 card to add to my deck that changes my deck a little bit is a lot more palatable than buying, you know, $25 cards all at once and spending $100. Like, I can do that. I can buy yeah. one $5 card a month, or maybe every two weeks you buy a card or, or something like that. You know, and at the end, you know, I took my deck apart and, oh my god, I have all these new cards that I can play, you know, in all of my different decks and assemble different decks. And yeah, I I mean, if you if you go back and read all my blog posts, you'll pretty much see me at the end of every single one of the blog posts. I'm just like, damn. This, everyone should have a deck that does this. Everyone should have a deck that's just like, and it's not actually reasonable for everyone to have a deck that does this, you know. I'm very unique in the fact that I like playing one specific color. And so I just buy cards for that one color. But having a space where you can just put new cards and test cards in a vacuum and a, a safe way to, you know, enjoy the products that we're getting. Because product fatigue is a real thing. Mm. And this felt like a really safe way for me to view the products that were coming out and just enjoy them at my own pace and have a relationship with those products along with everybody else and kind of have a context to enjoy those products with rather than having to keep fully up to date on every product that was releasing how it's going to affect every single one of my commander decks. Oh, you like, mean like this year? <laughs> yeah. Wait, what's happening in the next what's happening in quarter 2? 3 sets. Oh dear god. And it's just like, the, oh my god. The only the only set I'm paying attention to, I know Baldur's Gate is releasing sometime in quarter 2. Yeah. I'm just Keeping keeping, keeping my that. inner timeline on it. I love the D and D set so much. And they, uh, I think they'll do a great job with it. I'm actually looking really forward to that. They had a huge influence on the deck diary too. If you go back, I had a, I had a Nadar phase, which eventually just turned into a completely own deck. <laughs> I was like, you you still have the Nadar phase. The You're Nadar, still in yeah, it. <laughs> the, yeah, I'm still very much in the Nadar phase. Um, and and kind of to bring it back around to like the the building a deck or switching things around just to try things out i think that's something people should just try and do in general like if you wanted to if you feel like how am i going to change my deck out maybe just switch a few creatures around or switch a few spells around that you've been like trying to make cuts for but maybe for tonight maybe rather than this you'll you'll try this out and i i'm gonna mention it and some people probably realize i've mentioned this for the last few weeks is that Audric Blood Cursed has been my deck of, you know, it's been the deck I've obsessed about quite a bit more than others, and, you know, eventually that might fade away. But one of the things that I've been doing recently has been switching in and out cards that I've been either wanting to try or, like, I wanted to see how it worked together, but the the current iteration wasn't together, but now this week or this night I'm going to try it. And I've been putting, um, there's been things like I've been putting in Bludgeon Brawl and Nahiri Storm of Stone, and I'm putting in Brunor Battlehammer, and I wasn't, you know, something wasn't working at the time. So I switched some of those out, and I put in, like, 
Mob Rule, and uh, Dire Fleet Daredevil, and Venerable War Singer. And I'm like, hmm, this is pretty good, but maybe I want to switch it around again. And I've been just kind of swapping casually stuff in and out, kind of just to suit my needs. And it's been fun because some of the newer cards that I've been adding have been surprisingly way more impactful than I initially thought. And then sort of my initial ideas of using, like, animated blood tokens as, like, equipment um, didn't work out so great unless I had uh, arterial... I think it's, like, arterial blood flow or something, where, like, it mm -hmm. basically transforms them into swords. Like, plus two, plus oh for two. And, you know, like, you know... Uh, at the end of the day, it's this sort of this exploration for the last month or so that I've had, or even maybe a bit longer, where this fiddling has been as exciting as actually sitting down and playing a game and testing it out, because the deck can do some crazy stuff. It's just sometimes the, you know, that day I uh, didn't draw any card draw, or my stuff got blown up, or Audric had nothing to ETB into, so it kind of felt bad, and it's like... I actually had to play, I had, um, it was later game, and I still didn't have anything, so I cast Odric, and with the ETB on the stack, I cast a Chroma's Will. Yeah, that's good. And, that... and, and that may be five blood tokens, and it was super, uh, it wasn't, I don't think I won that game, pretty sure I didn't, but, like, it was sort of one of those things where it's like, I had to think about it, and I'm like, actually, hold on a second, this is actually really cool to do, even if it's not the most efficient, but it's this, it's also like, I got to w have a timing thing where I'm like, hold priority, cast this to like, do a thing. And it's, it, it, that's also another thing that I really love about deck building and shuffling things around is like, what will it do this time that, <coughs> excuse me, I, I couldn't do before. And it's like, I put in a Slayer Stronghold, which is a land from Avacyn Restored that, for red and white and the land itself, you can give something plus two plus oh, haste and vigilance until end of turn. And I'm like, I can cast Audric on a dead board and activate that for a combined six mana baseline and have a five, three with haste and vigilance and I make two blood tokens. And yep. I could probably swing into something. And that feels good. There's something there. It's I just it's just a matter of playing more games and like continuously it's, working with it yeah yeah i mean odric is legitimately your deck diary right now like you could you could literally just write up every day about the different changes and thoughts you have about the deck and the the potentials of of bloodrick i it's just it's not for everyone it, it really isn't there's some people that they want to brew something new they like brewing things to be completely kind of perfect but if you're someone who enjoys the process of tuning and really learning every intricacy of a commander or strategy. I mean, this is so rewarding. And if you're really dedicated to it, it can really just be the the lens by which you view new cards coming in. And it can help delay product fatigue if you're somebody who experiences product fatigue. Like, there's so many beneficial things if you for doing a deck diary and focusing on one deck and just getting away from the the 40 decks trying to have 40 decks all at once and having to buy new cards and just having one deck and and functioning through that and you don't have to have all the restrictions that i put on myself you know i'm essentially doing another dick diary i'm not writing about it but 
you know, I, I disassemble all my decks, and I, my goal is I want to make a one mono white deck now and play that mono white deck, explore it till I feel satisfied, put all the cards back, build a new mono white deck. Basically, that it allows me to have high power decks because I've collected a lot of white cards over the course of me playing Magic. Allows me to have some higher power decks as far as the cards go and um, really explore what the top end of Magic. Uh, of, of mono white looks like and it's been really fun so i'm working on avison right now and just exploring avison and the different builds and the different utility that she has and i've already learned a, a ton of stuff of just like okay what ideas did i have that are working what ideas did i have that don't work what is how good is avison how powerful is Avacyn? like avison if you get to the late game and you're kind of playing and i mean not even battle cruisery stuff like you can prevent damage from any any source right like avison can really just like make you feel super safe in a oh, game for the record we're talking about avison uh, what is it avison guardian angel is that is that not the avison that everyone likes the, uh, the, you know the one that everyone just apparently forgot about there's yeah, not the, two odd there's not two of them there's three of them the the corset avison yeah, yeah that's the one that everyone likes right yeah obviously i like it everyone loves corsets oh yeah so i heard Gotta love Yeva Nature's Herald from Corset 2013. And hey, that was the same corset that Audric was first showed. And everyone's like, oh, cool, he's got a keyword, and he has Super Battalion. That's not great. And now they're shitting on him still. Can't believe it. Poor Audric. <laughs> Can't catch a break. Um, yeah. what? Hopefully I did an okay job explaining the deck diary i think it is i could uh, listen listen maybe i sold it to somebody and they want to do let's despite the tangents we've had today i think i think we've i think we've properly narrated what the goal was at least like it's uh it's it was essentially a year plus long project of building a deck and constantly evolving it because you are you're on a budget you had a goal and you you felt like you reached the end of your goal where you've experienced a lot of different kinds of magic games and a lot of different cards that you otherwise wouldn't have experienced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think to getting to track it all the way through. So I have, I mean, I have a total of 15 deck lists, all titled 2021 deck drive version 1.1, 2.0, 2.3, version three, version four. And so like I could, I could have this emotional connection to the deck. I could have a deck that I felt like kind of was me for a moment, right? Like you, I talked about it, you heard about it, and that deck was identified with me. And I could take it apart because I had all the history of the versions, right? Just listed. They're tucked away in a folder on Moxfield. Right now they're unlisted so that it doesn't just clutter up my Moxfield page, but I can always look back (laughs) and, and see that. And so it's not like the deck is completely gone. Or anything because I disassembled it. Um, so yay for yay for digital organization. Moxfield and even Arctic is have been pretty sweet. Deck builders um, have gotten so good, so good. And the web. I don't I don't use them often enough, but yeah, it's uh, you had the experience, and then the experience ended, and now you can start something new, like doing a bunch of decks that ex- that <laughs> venture through dungeons. Yeah. Oh man, that's that's a blast. It's totally that, that. Yeah, it's so much fun, and uh, it's still. I mean, it's still just heavily influenced by the deck diary of me, just like 
build it. Don't worry about the functionality. Just build the general idea and then tweak and tune and learn and and evolve and try and understand it as deeply as possible so I can get the most out of out of the tomb of annihilation. So you're like I might be I might be hurting myself, but I'm gonna hurt you way more. I need more lands. <laughs> Where's my flagstones of truck here? You don't need more lands if all your cards are one drops. <laughs> Freaking Leroy, Leroy Jenkins. Jenkins. Oh my god. Yeah. I think that's a good place to wrap it up, though, with the Leroy yeah. Jenkins. <laughs> Peter, I'm going to get some fried chicken. And I, I don't know, I'm going to play Monster Hunter or something. I don't know. i got a stuff to do today. But, Peter, thank you for coming on again. It's been great having you on, and it's been a while since the last time, so glad yeah. we had some time to do it. It's been it's been a blast getting to have uh, give it give the deck diary the proper send off it deserved. Yeah, I and I, that's the whole that was the whole goal too is that I feel like uh, it and possibly a lot of other people and a lot of other deck building like we there's a lot of different ways to experience commander and seeing someone's journey over the course of a year with these certain unique restrictions was like really interesting to read about and I thought it was super interesting and I think it's I think it's a I I'm happy to try and highlight it on this podcast. I should, I should thank you too, Cole, because when I first started that, you I remember you reached out to me on Twitter and you said, "Hey, when is the next post for the deck diary coming?" And that like meant so much to know that there's one person that was like, "Hey, I kind of want to know when." Like, are you still writing about that? Like. That was really freaking cool. That was like when you first hopped on Twitter too. Yeah, I and, uh, I I was a big fan. There was something that was so cool to it and and like to me. And uh when you said I'm taking it apart, that's it. I felt so sad. I felt genuine. I'm like, <laughs> damn, like that's that that's that's a year-long project that like uh, like you said, you still have you still have uh, copies of each iteration of the deck for yourself, but like to me, that means like, man, there's not going to be any more articles. Dang it! But, <laughs> but at the same time, like many things that like things end, right? Like movies end, or franchises end, or even like a season of a show or a book series ends. And sometimes it's better just to like leave it and not make twenty sequels that suck when you can just move on and remember the good times that you had with it. Then uh, we play an outro. It's uh, some sort of pop song about remembering the good times. Yeah, know, and there's a off? there's a bad montage where everything's like awkwardly slowed down, like artificially, yeah. and it's got bad frame rate, and everyone's like, "Yeah!" And then they end it with a freeze, like the freeze frame. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then it fades out, also awkwardly in the middle of the song. You're like, "Man, whoever edited this like did not." think about this too much (laughs) um but hey also just just for the listeners here i think i would encourage you to go listen uh to my previous episodes with peter i think they were really fun and informative of his style of deck building and how he plays magic so go check out our the quende episode and go check out the hammett pashar episode because again venturing through a dungeon twice is like really strong and it turns out to be really good is that deck still around yeah oh Oh, yeah she's she's part of the venture bros oh thank god (laughs) and uh i'd also encourage you to go check out uh mj 
aka mtg and quarantine go check out the episodes with peter coach j row and i believe charles for some yep, of them charles, uh charles for Campbell. for white Oh wait, what is the deck? What is the series called now? Um, called the the Planeswalkers, P L A I N S. <laughs> the Planeswalkers. Yes, check out that chunk of MJ's podcast where these guys talk about mono white design and playing in it, which I think is super sweet, and I think it's worth listening to because uh, it offers some great insight to trying to play, quote unquote, the worst color of Commander. And I think you can learn something, and I definitely did. And oh yeah, oh yeah. Where else can we find your content, quote unquote, content? Uh, I am on Twitter at Mono White Border. And if you want to go back and read the entirety of my deck diary, it's like ten or eleven posts. It's fourteen. It is posts? fourteen posts. Thirteen posts. Sorry. Wow. Good for you, Peter. <laughs> it's uh, monowhiteboarder.weebly.com. There's a link on my Twitter bio as well. And uh, you can go back. There's If it's along with the deck, ri- deck diary, there are assorted thoughts on mono white in general. Um, I referenced a couple different things I wrote up uh, throughout the year of 2020, 2021 as cards came out. And, you know, I shared my opinion. So tons of tons of things that you can read on there of varying qualities and i'll put all that in uh in the description if anyone checks that out uh yeah i think we've talked everyone's heads off i think i think that's a wrap cool let's head home all right i'm already there sick thank you for listening everyone we'll talk to you on the next one